All right, we're in the book of James. They said I got 30 minutes, but I actually might preach longer than the 30 minutes today. I'm taking permission to do so because I'm the pastor and I can do that. So today I may take a little longer than what the clock is, is telling me, but I think you're going to be blessed. We've been in the series of James, and it's, it's going to go probably till the end of May, breaking down these five chapters, which are, are really hard-hitting chapters. James, uh, James really hits us in areas of Christianity that he knows is right and knows is good. Uh, as, a, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, you know, James, he's a half-brother of Jesus, but he only mentions Jesus twice in the first verse and again in the second chapter, the first verse of the second chapter. The only two times he mentions James, I mean, mentions Jesus. Yet, you can read through James and then go to the Sermon on the Mount, and you can almost set them side by side. And you could see where James is coming from. He heard the teaching of his brother. He understands the teaching of his brother. And now he's writing to the church of Jerusalem and the Jews that are scattered and letting them know this is what we are to practice. And last week we talked about being steadfast and enduring and knowing that we receive a crown, a crown of life, the scripture says, as we endure the tests and trials that come upon us. We receive uh, the crown of life, which speaks for eternity. But we enjoy the goodness of the Lord along the way. The key verse of that was James 1.12 where it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who loved him. That was verse 12. I'm going to ask you today to turn to verse number 19. We're going to go through the end of this chapter. James chapter 1 verse 19 through 27. And hear the word of the Lord. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Can you say amen? My topic on this theme is let's do this. Let's do this. Turn your neighbor and say let's do this. Now, one of the things that you can see anytime you go to a gym, anytime you go to a gym to work out, it doesn't matter if you're there 30 minutes, if you're there 45 minutes, if you're there an hour, if you're there an hour and a half, it's, you will always see somebody looking at themselves in the mirror. You're going to always see somebody looking at themselves in the mirror. And oftentimes they're doing stuff like this. And they're doing this. And they're doing this, you know, and they're looking at their back and they're looking at their abs and they're looking at their chest and they're looking at the arms. I've never seen anybody 
go into a gym, stand in front of a mirror, and do this to their legs. Look at their legs. I ain't never seen nobody say, let me see how that calf muscle is working out. Or that, I've never seen anybody do that. They only look at the things that they believe most people are looking at. The things that seem to be the most obvious. And it's easy for us to do that in our own life. To look at the things that we believe others are looking at. And the things that seem to be most obvious. And sometimes some of the things that we should have caught are the things that we miss. I remember a particular day that I was, I had done a meeting. It was, it was late in the afternoon. I had done a meeting, got in my car right after the meeting, drove to my house. And when I got to my house, my neighbor was outside and he lived across the street, lived, lived across the street. Uh, and I was doing a wedding for him. So when I saw him outside, I went over to talk to him about the wedding. I must have talked 10, 12, maybe 15 minutes. And then I went into the house, used the restroom, went to the sink to wash my hands and looked up and there was a lens out of my glasses. (laughs) One lens was out, had been out the whole time. I never noticed it and nobody said a doggone word about it. The same thing happened to me again not long after I was taking a team up to, up to Oregon. Uh, we were doing a meeting, I believe, in Junction City. Had six people in the vehicle. I was driving for a bit, then pulled over, shifted to the passenger side so I can turn to the team and start telling them about some things we needed to do when we got there. The more I talked, the more they snickered and smiled. Finally, I said, what's up? And one of them said, dude, you ain't got a lens in your glasses. Never even noticed it. Never even noticed it. And we can oftentimes go through life like that. We can go through life like that. And James, you know, we we talked about this previously. He could have very well dealt with catalogs of sin in our life. In In the last two sermons, we talked about temptation. And James talking about us, you know, overcoming temptation or working through temptation or dealing with temptations and tests. He could have went into a catalog of sin of the things that we normally know are temptations. We could go down that list that we see in Romans chapter 1. But James didn't do that. As as a matter of fact, James talks about things that we normally don't look at as a problem. James addressed things and says, listen, there's some some areas that you need to look at. And, And he says, you know, some of you talk too much. Some of you don't listen too good. And some of you act out in anger that doesn't work out for good. Now, now I can, if I can be honest with you, I'm susceptible to fall into all of those at any time. Talking too much, which I, I think I got a lot to say, but, I, I mean, but talking too much, not listening, waiting for the person to finish so I can just jump in there and tell them what I'm thinking. Y'all shaking your head like y'all didn't experience that with me. Come on now. Y'all need to... <laughs> And, and, and carrying out anger that's not unto righteousness. We don't normally check those things. When I go down the list, when I sit with my accountability people, they go down to things that are normal. I go down to things that are normal, not adultery. I can go down to Ten Commandments and skate through all of that. But ain't nobody asking me, Pastor, are you talking too much? Are you, are you not listening very well? How's, how's anger going for you? Now, this is what we have a tendency to do. 
with anger. Oftentimes, because the scripture says that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I want you to catch that, and I'm going to come back to that. And he's saying the anger of men and women usually does not fit on the list of sin, but it may work out in the manner that it's not doing what's good for God. If somebody asks me about anger, I may say, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an emotion that I just need to work through. An emotion. I, when I've done this sermon this week, I thought about that because the Lord was just jacking me up. It took me a while to get through it. I was almost said, ah, skip that, pastors. They won't notice. I'll go next week. But, but when I thought about emotion, I thought, you know, it's ridiculous to put anger just in the category of emotion. When I think of emotion that's out of control, it's when I'm sitting watching a movie with somebody. And I hit a moment in the movie that I don't want them to know that I'm crying, but I can't control my emotion. You know, movies like The Color Purple, when, when old Nasty Albert was, was trying to get with the sister, and she spurned him, and so then he banishes the sister from the house right when she was teaching Celie, his wife, how to, how to read. That, that, that gets me. Or Old Yeller. I love Old Yeller. And I know Old Yeller's an old movie. But, but, but I, every time uh, Travis has to shoot Old Yeller because he's become rabid and he's attacking his brother, I, I, I just, I cry, I cry every, every time. Boy in striped pajamas. I don't know if any of you have seen that. That's a hard one to watch. When oh, uh, Bruno makes friends with um, Shimiel, and I may not be saying his name right, but the little Jewish boy who's in the concentration camp and he's there to get gassed like Jews were. His father, Bruno's father, was overseeing that. Bruno discovered that there was kids there and he wanted to go play with them and he couldn't get to them, but they dug, a, dug underneath the fence and he started playing with them and he realized what was going on. He puts on pajamas and goes into the gas chamber and dies with them. Those, that, that's one of those movies that just get me every, every time. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. 12 years a slave. When Solomon, who was a slave himself, had to whip Patsy because she wouldn't got soap to clean her body. That's just overwhelming emotion. Simon Birch is another one. People teased him and talked about him and ridiculed him about his size. But when he's the one saving everybody on the bus when the flood comes, that gets me. And if you can sit here and tell me that you don't cry when Rudy runs out on that field, you're lying. You're lying. I didn't cry 12 times or more every time Rudy runs out on that field. Now that's emotion. And none of that will produce unrighteousness. So that's why James is saying you can't just throw anger into the same category as emotion because emotion can be emotion and it may be awkward and untimely, but it ain't going to work unrighteousness. But anger does. And so he says to us that we have to keep a check on that. And it wasn't just him. Do you know the first sin in the Bible outside of Adam and Eve in their family was out of anger? Cain and Abel. They both made a sacrifice unto the Lord. 
And the scripture says that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. And he knew that God didn't accept it. And the scripture says because of his countenance, his countenance fell in Genesis chapter 3. The scripture tells us that, and he was very angry. And the Lord came to him and said, basically, he says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? But then the Lord says this, and this is the grace of God. He says, man, if you don't bring that anger in check, sin is waiting for you at the door. Something is going to go bad. Something is going to go bad. Bring the anger in check or something is going to go bad. The very next verse, Cain goes and talks to his brother and he kills him because he's angry with him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, but I say to you that everyone who is anger, angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So this is what James is saying. James is saying, he's suggesting that when we, we have to, when we pose in the mirror, if I can use that term, we need to make sure we take a, a full soul scan. Not just look at what we think people are seeing, but take a full soul scan. And, and I get that vulnerability, but, but I, I got to tell you, it ain't no more vulnerable than going to the airport, getting in that capsule, holding your hands up in the air, and some woman you don't know see everything. I mean see everything. The Lord is saying, we need to go before him and take a soul scan. We need, to, we need to be vulnerable before the Lord and let him see what it is that he needs to see. And when that is done, then he says in verse 21, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. You'll, you'll see that. Get whatever the mirror shows us. We need to take that, take that out. There's a there's a verse in, the, in, the, in Colossians chapter 3. If I can say it this way, this verse gives me the heebie-jeebies. This verse just shakes me up. It's, it's in Colossians 3.5. And I, I'm going to read it out of King Jimmy. Listen to this. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fortication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil con- con- concupiscence, Sense, let's see. I, I remember what Miss Trapp told me. Con cup is sense. Concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now that's a strong verse and it deals with the things, but the part that gives me the heavy jeebies is the word mortify. I mean, how many go around using the word mortify? I mean, it means to, to make something dead, to actually cut it out. Uh, it, it's the, we, get, we get necromancer from it. It means to stop it, to utterly kill it. I mean, think about it. If you got a phone call, hey, Tyrone, I want you to come over. We're going to hang out a little bit. Oh, cool, Dad. What we, what we going to do? Come on over, son. I'm going to mortify you. But that's exactly what we need to do. We find those errors in our life and we get rid of stuff. But, but James is so good to us. As hard as he is, he tells us how we can do that. He says, humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. I- I'm telling you, the word of God, when you get the word of God in you, what we won't do as a natural man and woman, 
the word of God has a tendency to bring about. It just begins to work. Hebrews 4.12 says it just cuts us uh, like a double-edged sword. It's able to cut bone and marrow. The word of God can do that. And, and what James is saying here is that we need to get impregnated. We get the word of God in us. And when you get pregnant with the word, it changes your desires. Hear this. Things that you once used to want to do and used to want to go and used to want to say, your desires get changed because you're pregnant. Now, y'all didn't, all of you that had a, a, a wife that's been pregnant, you know her cravings change. You know her cravings change. You walk in the house and they walking around drinking vinegar on ice <laughs> or, 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 or dipping dill pickles in peanut butter or eating banana and ketchup sandwiches. You know something then, even before they tell you that they're pregnant, you, you got to be pregnant. I mean, changing your cravings like that. And the word of God does the same thing. It changes our desires. It changes our cravings till we want the things that God wants for us. Can you say a good amen? amen. And so James says, here, here are the instructions. If you've received the word of God, then do it, is what he says. If you've only heard the word of God and not doing it, he says, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And I want you to catch that point of deception because I'm going to come back to that one too. Because he uses an analogy to make this point. And I'll read it again out of the New Living. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing that. That's a great word, buddy, and I, and I love the analogy of the mirror. Now, in, in, and in days of antiquity, and, and, and this is kind of mind-blowing. I was sharing this with V this morning, that now we, on an average— they say we look at ourselves in the mirror eight to ten times a day, maybe even when it's not intentional, just going by. We got mirrors in our houses, go to the restroom, whatever. You, you, you see yourself in the mirror, they say on an average of eight to ten times a day. But in that day, mirrors were very, very rare. Very few people had a mirror. It was mostly only those that was well-to-do and maybe the rich that had a mirror. And the mirrors that they had was not glass. They were just polished metal. So even if you had one and you got it where it was polished, if you didn't have the money to maintain the metal getting polished, then the mirror still didn't look very clear. During that time, during the time when James wrote, wrote this, we look at ourselves in the mirror eight to ten times a day. If people saw themselves during their lifetime eight to ten times, that was amazing. They hardly saw themselves. People, children can grow up and be five and six years old and never saw what they looked like because they didn't have mirrors. They can get a scuff on their face and don't see it. Have blood running down unless they feel the blood, don't know it. They don't know what they look like because they couldn't see themselves in a mirror very often at all. So James is not saying a negative thing. He's not saying the negative like, you know, a person looks at himself and says, oh, I think I look pretty good. What James is saying, he says, catch this. You know how it is because we can't see ourselves in a mirror very much and it could be distance, years before we see ourselves again. We don't remember what we look like. 
We don't remember what we look like. And so James saying the same with us. If we hear the word and don't do it, we're just like the folks who haven't seen themselves in the mirror for such a long time. We just get away. We may know it at the beginning. We may be reading the scriptures and we may see it right then. And we understand that this is what God is saying. I talk too much. I don't listen well. Anger ain't working out too good. I may get that right at the moment. But James is saying, if you don't start acting upon that when you hear it, you're going to walk away from what God showed you. And down the road, a month, two months, three months, four months. Five months, six months, seven months, eight months. You forgot that the Lord showed you through the word what you need to address. Am I talking to the right church? And so James is telling us then we got to act upon this. We got we to gotta do something. And honestly, man, I don't know how I did this, but that's actually the end of the message. But since I got more time, I'm going to keep going. Because James does something to apply this that I'm telling you. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. And James is dead. He ain't here, so he can't get on me. Now, I'm going to see him in heaven. He may say, Tyrone, I heard what you said in that pulpit that day. But I never have thought James would be the most brilliant writer. Like, I think Paul, the way he wrote Ephesians and the writer of Hebrews, I just think some of them writings is brilliant. I never thought James was a brilliant writer. Until I'd done this study and then I realized, oh my goodness, look at what he just did. Because James said this, and I want to read this again. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Listen to what James is saying. This boy, what a, what a, he just done a fascinating job. James is saying this, even if you don't have the stuff in your life that may be on the Ten Commandment list, if you can't control your tongue, if you don't listen very well, if you don't care for other people, then you're still deceiving yourself. In other words, James did not make deception based on the things that we are seeing so obvious that we know we can act on. James says, if you don't get the word in you and act upon the word and let the Lord do a soul scan of your life, you still deceiving yourself even when nobody else sees it. Are y'all following me on this? And he makes this statement. He says, as a matter of fact, your religion is worthless. Your religion is worthless. Now, I know some of y'all out there saying, well, pastor, well, you know I'm not about religion anyway. I'm about relationship with Jesus. I'm not into religion. I'm into relationship with Jesus. Fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks. If you understand what, he, what religion is saying here, and every time you see religion in the scripture, it's not talking about the religion that a lot of folks practice so that they can earn their salvation or earn favor. Anytime we see the word religion, it's talking about acting out our faith. And this is what James is saying. James is saying, if the acting out of your faith does not prove that you'll deal with the things that you got to deal with in your life, then your religion, your faith, your profession out of your mouth is worthless. 
It's not a matter of posing religion versus relationship. I'm here to tell you, if you got a relationship with Jesus, you will be religious. You will religiously seek God and trust God and pray and read your Bible and act out and do right. If you really believe who Jesus is and you got that word, you're going to be religiously allowing the Lord to work in your life. Am I talking to the right church? And so James says this. He says this. There's three things that you can take as a real pulse of what's happening here. And the first one is real simple. Just control your tongue. He doesn't go back and rehearse everything in those other verses. He just says control your tongue. Uh, Do you know I read this and I hope I'm right and I only checked one source that the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. That's enough words for a 64-page book every day. Now, it went on to say how many we do in a month, in a week, in a month, etc. But I thought about this. What if somebody had all the contents of my book every day? What would they read me saying? If they had the contents of my book every single day. If everything I said was recorded somewhere, if everything I said was put on video, if everything I said was put on the internet, what would people read of my book every day? David Platt made this statement in his book, Exalting James and Jesus. It's, it's a commentary kind of. He said this, in a day of text messaging, email, cell phones, Twitter, blogs, Facebook, etc., we need to be careful. We've created an entire culture that says, if you have a thought, then you should immediately share it to the rest of the world. But as a follower of Christ, don't buy into that line of reason. Don't buy into that line of reason. So Psalm 39.1 says this, I said, I will guard my ways. This is David talking, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. Tell your neighbor, control your tongue. Mm-hmm. The second one is get your hands dirty and your money moving with compassion. Get your hands dirty and your money moving with compassion. You're going to do some of that today when you pick up a bag for the homeless. But James singles out two groups that deserve special attention. Orphans, which we don't have orphanages here in America like other places, but we got a whole lot of children that are fatherless. Am I talking to the right church? And widows. Women that no longer have a male in their home that they were once married to, or maybe not even an older son that can take care of them. These are oftentimes people that are alone and people that are forgotten. And oftentimes they, they struggle with all kinds of distresses because in many cases they can't care for themselves. It's not as bad as it was in the days of James, but we would be foolish if we don't still be mindful of folks that we know are in situations that are not quite the same as ours. So y'all, y'all hear me on that? And, and James says, if you got good religion, we used to sing that song in the old church, give me that old time religion, give me that old time religion. Y'all remember that one? Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for mama. It's good enough for daddy. It's good enough for me. Some of us need to get back to some old time religion and, and start looking out for folks who are less fortunate than us. But, but it doesn't just stop there. I mean, we can talk about the unborn. We can talk about the sick, the dying, the homeless, the disabled, immigrants, uh, those that are involved in sex trafficking, prisoners, refugees. We can go on down the line. That, that's our job 
as people of faith. That's practicing our religion, getting our hands dirty and our money moving for the, with compassion. Proverbs 14, 31 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Our God is the father of the fathers and he protects the widows and God sets them in a family. I'm going to read this quote and then I'm going to bring you the last point. I really thought this was good. It was a second century philosopher. His name was Aristides and he was part of the Roman Empire and he was observing Christians. Now mind you, there was always persecution of the Romans on the the Christians up until the time their empire got overthrown. And this fellow was not a Christian at all. He was just a philosopher. And he was writing to the emperor because he asked him, how is it going there in the area you were in? And in this case, this guy was in Asia Minor, I believe. He said, how is it going there? How is it going with those uh, Christ followers or however he called them? And this is what he wrote back to the emperor. He says, it's astonishing to watch. They love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. They deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as if he's a very brother. And they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but they call them brethren after the spirit of God. This was a non-believer writing to the emperor. Can the same letter be written about us today? Can the same letter be written? Are we caring for those who need the care that we know that we can give and comes from the gospel? And that's really what it's all about. We don't just do this for show. We don't do it just so we can get rave reviews and and, uh, so you can get attention to yourself. We do it because of the gospel, because of the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and brought us into his family where we're now overseen and cared for and protected and loved. Never lonely, never isolated because of why we're in the family of God. So we humble ourselves to a greater God who's done a great work on the cross. And here's my last statement. And it's a strong one. But I'll I'll just hit it and move on. Keep yourself free from corruption. How many know we live in a dirty world? It's, it's rough out there. We can always end up with stained by just some kind of moral compromise. We can fall into categories that we just overlook and we don't let the word of God work in us. But, but somehow you got to find ways to, and this is, this, is, this is a fact because we want unbelievers reached. That's our job. But you got to find ways to reach unbelievers and not allow yourself to get stained by the world. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to get out there. But, but you got to know your limitations. I heard uh, Clint Eastwood said that in, in a movie one time. He says, a man got to know his limitations. You, you, you got to know who you can hang out with and who you can. And games you can play and games you can. And TV shows you can watch and those you can't. And music you can listen to and, those, and that you can't. You got to know your limitations. And it's really not a matter, honestly, of me trying to tell any of y'all how to be accountable to what you need to do. It's enough work keeping myself accountable. But there is something that helps us. That's the word of God. And that's the spirit of God. And it keeps reminding us time and time again of what Christ has done. And I'll, I'll close with this verse. 
And I want you to catch this. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Listen to this. And I love how Paul put it. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but catch this, but you were cleansed. Come on, somebody say amen. You were made holy. Can you say amen? You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. You ought to say amen. And so God has helped us and given us the grace and the ability that we can reach with love and compassion, control the things we need to control, get our hands dirty in the life of people, and still stay unstained by the world. And James says that's good religion. That's redeeming religion. Everybody stand if you would. I just, I'm going to just say a couple of things here. If, if, you, if you're a believer... And you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior already. And, and you're not living out the word of the Lord. I, I'm just going to ask you, why not? And just get to it. What was the title of this message? Just do it. God has given you all the ability to do it. You're in a good church, safe family, safe church, small groups and uh, city life groups, worship week after week. You've got the word of God that you can read. You've got the spirit of God that's in your life. Just start doing it. But if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and haven't committed your life to him, I'm going to ask the same question. Why not? Why not? This God who has committed himself to every one of us has went to the greatest extent possible to prove his love by sending his very own son to die on a cross for you. He didn't ask you to fix anything. He didn't ask you to clean it up. As a matter of fact, the Lord never gave us a letter of the book of James before he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to take on our sins, our rebellion, our shame, our guilt. He took on all that first and then sent his spirit and said, now you can live this life that honors me. So if you're not a believer, it's, it's a great opportunity for you to do that today. Jesus loves you. We love you. And you're in a safe, safe place. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. We're going to go into a song. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to ask for some commitments here. And, and then we're going to pray and ask God to help. Now, I, I do believe it's important for you to respond to what the Lord has done. And if there's something in the message that spoke to you and you know, yep, I'm, I am a believer, I'm hearing this, and I'm one that just needs to act on what I know. I've had a body scan, I've had a soul scan. I know what the word says. I'm like that one that is, walks away and as if I'm not gonna get back to a mirror for a long, long time and don't act on it, but I, I wanna start today and act upon it. Just, just raise your hand. I'm just gonna pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Father, you, you see the hands that are up. You know, Lord, these are people that say, I'm hearing the word. It's convicted me. I got it. I just want to do this. And I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Now, every head bow and every eye closed for just a moment. You might be here and you've never made a confession of faith. You've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. 
but, but you know that you need to and you want to. You've been brought to the place to recognize you need God. You need a Savior. You need life to be different. And you know it can only be done different by the one who created you and made you. And today is the day that you want to make that commitment to Christ. I'm, I'm just going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to just put your hand up and you can put it right back down. I'll, I'll tell you how to follow through with it. But you can put your hand up and you can put it down. But if, if you're here and you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today and allow him to be the Lord of your life, on the count of three, just lift up your hand and put it down. One, two, three. I want to give my life to Jesus. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. My goodness. Yes. Thank you, Father. Lord, you see those ones who would lift up their hand, have acknowledged it to you. I want to give my life to the Lord today. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I pray, Lord God, first of all, of course, with that follow through, that people will come alongside them and help them and love them and disciple them. But I pray, Lord God, also that there's such a transformation in their life that it's undeniable that the Spirit of God has come into them. I pray for life change, life transformation, new hope living with new joy, a freshness of vision, a freshness of life, because today they said, I want to follow Jesus. So Lord, I pray your grace and your hand upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into a time of ministry. Some of you raise your hand for different things. Altar is open. It's not limited to those things that we have called for right now. You may want somebody to pray for you for healing. You may need prayer for different things. The altar is open. There's plenty of altar workers here that can pray with you. If you're one of those ones that lifted your hand for salvation, come and let somebody know. They'll follow through with you. They'll make sure that you get uh, ready for baptism. We'll get you baptized. we got baptism scheduled all this month, but we'll get you scheduled for baptism. There may be something that's going on in your family life. Whatever it is, the altar is open. And you can be ministered to today. We love you. We don't want you to leave here without being receiving the ministry of the love of Jesus and the people of God. So the altar is open. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to go into a song of worship. Those of you that need to go, you're free to go. We thank you for being with us. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Hopefully you're in a small group. If not, find a CLG. Go to the website, ctcfamily.com. Get locked into a small group. And we'll see you here next week. Those of you that want ministry, you can come. Father, I thank you for the time we've had to worship together, to minister together, to enjoy you together. Lord, I pray for these that are at the altar, those that are here, that are receiving ministry. Those, Lord God, as we leave here and go into our various places and homes, I pray you be with us. Keep us safe. Let us go into the mission field and do your work. Help us to love, Lord God, on the least and the unlovable and the lost. And Lord, keep ourselves unstained from the world. You able to help us? May your face shine upon us and give us peace. In Jesus' name, may the church say hallelujah.